Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, where we share the Sermon of the Week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. It's nice to have my family here this morning from all over the place. Now Wisconsin is with us. And so it's good to have, I'm sure you have family or friends maybe that you've touched base with today. It's a wonderful time of getting together and remembering that he is alive. So if you would do me the favor, um, I'm going to say Christ has risen, and you're going to say he has risen indeed. Would you do that with me? Rose, do you have that slide for us? Great. Why don't you stand, because I think this is going to be important for us to do this. Now look at... If you have an exclamation point after what you say, all right? So let's give this a try, and let's just scare hell this morning, okay? All right, you ready? He is risen! <laughs> Praise the Lord, you may be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who here today would believe that I have a nice, crisp $100 bill for you. Who would believe that? A few of you would. Looks to be about 10 or 15. What if I were to give you some evidence that I had a a, a $100 bill to give to someone today? How many of you would be willing to receive that? Anybody? A few of you. Most of you don't need $100 or I don't understand. Okay, you you still don't believe yet. So let me... Let me take that which is concealed and reveal it to you. Now, how many of you believe that I have a $100 bill to give to... Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Now, who would like to receive it? Okay, some of you believed it. Some of you are willing to receive it. Anybody want to receive it? Oh, okay, all right, all right. Go sit down. There's always a couple that want to run to the front and get the money. Right? So, do you believe it that I have a $100 bill? Are you willing to receive it? Okay. You're welcome. It's not hard. Doggone it, I wish you would have walked up to me. Because I would have taken the $100 bill. Let me tell you that what you believe about Jesus and his resurrection is the most important thing in the entire world. As my son-in-law was telling me before service this morning, more important than your children graduating from Harvard and having a PhD or an MD and making a million dollars a year, the most important thing in the world is what you believe about Jesus. See, God told you about Jesus. Here, in the Old Testament, he was concealed. Some of you, yeah, may have believed that. There were those who believed that 
there was a $100 bill concealed. But then I opened the tomb. I mean, I opened the envelope. And I showed you. I revealed to you what was available. And I said, how many of you now are willing to receive it? Some of you said, "Uh uh-huh, a lot more of you. Now that you saw it, you believed it. And there's always a couple radicals that run to the altar. Right? Right? I mean, you know people like that in your life. They're just, they're just Jesus crazy, it seems almost, right? Yes, I'm ravenous. He said it. I receive it. I believe it. I'm a child of God. I'm an overcomer. Greater is There's always those. But that may not be you. So you know what Jesus did? He actually came to each one of you. He knew you may not want to run to the altar, but he's met you in your car when you're all alone, in your bedroom when you're crying, when your marriage is falling apart, when the money runs out, there you sit, maybe even with suicidal thoughts. He came to you and he said, it once was revealed It was once concealed, then I revealed it, but here I am sitting right, I mean, right next to you. I mean, isn't that the power of Christianity? Every other religion says, come up here, have an intellectual ascent, be zen, right? Jesus was the only one that came down to get you. He came down to get you, and he said, I'm not going to leave you down there, I'm going to bring you up. That's the power of believing and receiving. There's a fundamental statement for Christians that dates all the way back to 120 AD, and that's called the Apostles' Creed. And it's what we have believed, and if you're not a Christian, you're not a practicing Christian today, then you're not a Christian because Christians practice. I'm a Christian, but I'm not a practice. That's like saying I'm a Jew, but I'm not a practicing Jew. I'm, um, I'm Catholic, but I'm not a practicing Catholic. I'm married, but I'm not a practicing married person. <laughs> See how silly that just got? Right? So either you are a Christian or you aren't a Christian. And if you are a Christian, this is what the church, this is what the family has believed for 2,000 years. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. And he ascended into heaven, and he sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from thence he shall come to judge both the quick and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic, which means universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. Who believes in the forgiveness of sin? That's good. The, resurre- the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. That is what we have all believed for 2,000 years. It has its root in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, where the word says, And what I received I passed on to you of first importance, that was Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared first to Peter, as I read to you this morning, and then the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers, at the same time, most of whom now are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 
That whole story is in this book. And if you didn't get one of these books when you came in, raise your hand. We're prepared to bring these to you. There's a few hands that are up. So those who have books, stand to your feet and begin to distribute those. I have uh, my own, but I have two extras here. David, give those to somebody. And not one per couple. You can have two per couple. You can, we got enough so you can have it all. Because, you know, I could, I, could, I could read the whole book to you today. But let me just tell you, it's a story about a man who is a uh, reporter. And his wife got saved. His wife gave his life to, her life to the Lord. And he went out to disprove the gospel. And so with a reporter's critical analytical eye, he went about trying to disprove the gospel and it ended up getting saved at the end of the book. And so it's a, it's a nice factual book, but it's, re, it's a nice read as, too, as well. You can read it probably in about 20 or 30 minutes. It's not difficult. So this is a gift for all of you so that you can know the true meaning of Resurrection Sunday. And uh, those of you that are watching online, those of you listening by podcast or on television, you just drop us a note and we'll send one to you absolutely free and we'll pay the postage. That's how important it is. Romans 10.9 is where we'll start. It says this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and what? what's the next word? We're talking about believing and receiving and becoming today. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will receive. You will be saved. Believing plus receiving equals becoming. I'm going to take a, just a couple minutes on the first two pieces of this equation, and then we'll, we'll, we'll focus our attention on the becoming. The believing means having faith that Jesus is who he says he is. Faith is confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. We all have the ability to have faith. It's in fact, you have faith. So I don't have any. Yes, you have faith. You use it every day when you wake up and you go to the shower and you turn the handle. You have faith to believe that water will come out. That's faith. Evidence of things you don't yet see. You're going to go, okay, I'm going to go take a shower. I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to put my key in the ignition and I'm going to turn it on. You have faith to believe that your car will start. You put faith all kinds of places. You put faith in your government, in your IRA, in your 401k, in your fans, family, in your friends, in your neighbors. You put faith in your lawn. Lawnmower will start this spring. Anybody? Maybe you put your faith in the wrong place. But if you put your faith in Jesus, he'll never fail you. We all have faith, even the size of a mustard seed. I don't have much faith. If it's the size of a mustard seed, if you've ever seen one of those, it's a little bit bigger, just, just, just so tiny, just so tiny. So you all have faith. How do you have faith? By grace, he gave you faith. He's given to everyone a portion of faith. Now, some people, granted, seem to have a lot of faith, but we all have faith, and that's the presupposition we come to this morning's equation with. You all have the ability to believe. Number two. What happens then is that you receive. God's salvation is a gift that has to be received. When I came off the platform and I said, who wants it? Walked around, I saw Corinne. I said, Corinne could probably use $100. So I said, and I held it out. You notice I didn't have her stand up and I didn't shove it in her pocket. She just had to reach out and hold out her hand. That's all that had to happen. Now, again, there were those that rushed the platform. That's how it is in, some, in life for some people, right? Yeah. But that may not be you. That's the majority of people that, that like, uh, 
I don't know. And listen, Jesus was concealed in the Old Testament. And he was revealed in the New Testament. And then he came down and sat next to you. And the question is, all you have to do is receive. Put your faith in him. Believe and receive. Put that picture of the package back up, Rose, for a second. Have you ever had one of these on your front porch? Maybe not with a red heart, but you get a package. Maybe you heard the front, somebody at the front door. Maybe you just drove up in the driveway and oh, there's a package. You could just leave it there all day long, all night long. You leave it there for weeks and weeks. But until you go to the front porch and you pick it up and you look at it, you're not really able, you believe that it's there, but you're not able to receive what's inside until you pick it up and take it. Now, some of you have seen Jesus. He's presented himself to you. You pulled up in the driveway of your life. You've seen this package of the good news of Jesus Christ. And you said, return to sender. I just really don't have time right now. That would really mess up my life if I brought that into my home. Let me tell you, it's the best thing you could ever bring into your home. His love, his peace, his forgiveness, his redemption, his joy, his abundance. It's all there for you, and it's wrapped up in the package of Jesus, if you believe it, and then receive it. But then what happens? So you do believe it. You believe the Apostles' Creed, and you begin to receive him, and you say, yeah, okay. What do you become? What happens to someone who puts their faith in Jesus? That's what I'm going to take just a couple minutes and go through a few of these, three to be exact. Number one, when you believe and receive, you become... A child of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Yet to all who have received, to him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become. Are you feeling the equation at work in you right now? You should. When you believe and receive, you become. You become what? A child of God. You become born again. You become born into the family. My daughter and son-in-law have now four children and they, they all look alike. I like to think that I look, I have something, I have some, some resemblance in there, but I'd say I do have a resemblance. My daughter and I have a resemblance to each other somewhat. And so there's some satisfaction there. I, we, we, especially when she was younger, you know, we'd go out somewhere and they go, oh, no mistaken, that's your daughter. She looks a lot like you. And I was very proud of that, that she would look like me. But imagine that I had adopted a little black child, an African-American. There probably wouldn't be a lot of people saying, oh, he, he looks a lot like you. <laughs> right? Why is that? It's because we as humans have a tendency to judge on the external. Not what's going on on the inside or a spiritual level. So when Jesus says you become a child of God, he's saying, you know what? It's not about where you live or what you drive or what you look like or how much money you have in the account. It's not even, listen, there's a lot of there are people that can talk Christian, but they aren't Christian. Hello, do you know any of them? Sure you do. God says, I, however, will adopt you in your rags in your destitute, in your homelessness, spiritually speaking, you're just wandering around from pillar to post trying to find peace and joy in a bottle, in a drug, in a pill, in a relationship, in your job. I mean, we try to fill the hole with everything, right? 
Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to adopt you. The father says, I want to adopt you because when you believe and receive, you become a child of God. And you may not look the part, but no one's asking you to look the part. God's saying, I just want you just the way you are. Those things, all those things, they don't have a bearing on your worth anymore. Because the world will, world will tell you, oh, those are the clothes you're wearing? Oh, that's how heavy you are? That's what you look like? Oh, that's where you live? Oh, that's what you drive? And they'll determine whether or not you can be part of their circle based on exterior things. Yeah? I don't know. But God says, you know what? I want you just the way you are. All that stuff that they judge you on, I'm not going to judge you on that. I just want you to be part of the family. You're an orphan. Come on home. Be a part of the family. Believe. Believe. Right. Reveal. Receive. And become a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what happens? He becomes a new creation. The old you is gone and the new has come. I got to use this verse of scripture on my 10th anniversary of my high school reunion. Because what I was in high school and what I was 10 years after high school were a little bit uh, non-congruent. They didn't uh, really line up so much. So that when Eric walked into, I think it was the Elks or the Moose Club, whatever that was down there, down by the river uh, in Pekin, Illinois, back in 10 years after my graduation, they were expecting someone and he didn't show up. Someone else showed up. The new Eric showed up and I said, like, who are you? Not because I look different, but because I belong to a different family. I'd gotten a new family crust. And I said, well, listen, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. So this is not the Eric that you knew 10 years ago. This is the new Eric. Hopefully the improved Eric. See, it's not about outward appearance. It's about being adopted. Corinne did nothing she did nothing to deserve that. You would have done nothing to deserve it. You would have simply believed that I had it and then received it. That's all you would have had to have done. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to run to the altar. You could run to the altar. I got saved in my pickup truck at high noon. Yeah. 12 o'clock noon on my lunch break. Yeah, in Peoria, Illinois. So, so I don't know where you're at in believing and receiving the goodness of God. But when you do, you become a child of God. You're adopted. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God? 1 John 3, 1. We're called as children. He picked you. And you may not have always gotten picked for the first in your PE class in school. Right? It's a little hurtful sometimes. Okay, we'll take Cheryl. <laughs> right? Just remember, if you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter. Be an athletic supporter. <laughs> remember that? Remember that from Greece? I'm sorry. But some of you, it's rippling. It's okay. It's all right. It's church. We can have fun in church. Some of you weren't picked. Some of you thought you should have been married sooner than you were, still waiting to get married, and you haven't been picked. Some of you just waiting to be picked for this position and at work or being picked, not just high school sports, but wherever. You think, man, 
I wish God walks into the room and he picks you. And the beautiful thing about that, he can pick you. He picks everyone first. Everyone is his favorite. He leaves no one out. He says, I want you on. I want you part of the family. I'd like you to be a part of the family. Do you believe that? Can you receive that? Well, here's the benefit. You're going to be my child. You know what the benefit of being the child of God is? It's much better than being a child of Eric Hansen. It's much better than being a child of your parent. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he says, God predestined us to be adopted as sons, daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. It makes him happy to be able to adopt you. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. In Galatians 4, 4, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, us, under the law, that we might receive, there it is, you have to receive it, receive adoption. He can say, I pick you, but until you, you know, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jeremy right over, send Lisa right over. If you go, no, not today, return to center, you're not going to have the benefit. To redeem those under the law who we might receive the full rights of sons because you are the sons, daughters of God. Number one, when you believe, you receive, and you receive being a child of God. You become, rather, a child of God. Number two, believe and receive and become the temple of God. Wow. This is, this is a step up. Pretty, pretty monumental. Ephesians 2. And in him, you two, being built together, become... There's the word, believe, receive, and become. You become what? A dwelling in which God lives, how? By his spirit. I know, that's really, really huge. Now, if you're not around Christianity a whole lot, it may be a little bit too big to imagine, but think of this. Before, in the Old Testament, think of Raiders of the Lost Ark, that there was this temple, and in this temple was an ark, and that's where God hung out. For millennia until Jesus came on the scene and he said it's been concealed long enough and then he ripped the temple curtain open and he revealed himself right and he says you know what now do you not know first Corinthians 3 16 that you yourselves are a temple and that God's spirit lives in you now he says, I don't dwell, I don't dwell in a tent anymore. I don't dwell in an ark anymore. I dwell in those who believe and receive. Then you actually become the temple of God and you carry him everywhere you go because now you are the priest. Well, I need a priest with a clerical collar and he does things for God for me and he reports back to me what's going on. No, that's an Old Testament economy. The New Testament says you are the priesthood and you carry the very presence of God everywhere you go. If you believe and receive, then you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Amen. Listen, fish live in water, clouds live in the sky, kangaroos live in Australia, bees live in hives. Jesus said in Matthew 8, foxes have holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, this was before the resurrection. But now the Lord has a place, not made with human hands. Everything has a place. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives 
in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith, of course, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Your body becomes the temple, 1 Corinthians 6. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you believe and receive, then you become a child of God. You become a habitation of where God dwells. And number three, you become the righteousness of God. Now this is really, really important because you can't have any of this unless you have righteousness. And the problem that is set up with us is that Jesus has presented a very high standard for what righteousness is. In the, in the early New Testament economy, when Jesus walked on the earth, there were very religious people. They were called Pharisees, Sadducees. And they were the ruling, ruling religious people in Israel at the time. And they observed the law. They did the best. I mean, they were, by the law, they just kept it and they tried to please God with all of their outward appearances, the way they dressed, the way they walked, the way they talked, the way they washed, the way they went to the bathroom the way that they cleansed themselves, the way they cut their hair, everything about them is prescribed. Very, very, very religious people. And what I find really interesting is when Jesus came on the scene and uh, he saw sinners and then he saw these self-righteous people, the self-righteous people, he always called them, you brood of vipers! You whitewashed sepulcher tomb, inside of you is, you're full of bones, you're dead man's bones! But when he saw a woman caught in adultery, he said, I had compassion on her. And he was merciful to her. He was kind to her. He was forgiving. Jesus' most aggressive, harsh words in the Bible are always towards people that think their life is all together and they're super spiritual and they got it all going on. This is why humility is important for those of us who are Christians because pride comes before the fall and so you know what I, I, I'd like to say up here listen follow me as I follow Jesus don't follow me follow me as I follow Jesus in other words as I live my life in accordance with the word same with you there's Christians in your life right now and the reason you don't want to be a Christian is because some people that you th that purport themselves to be Christians live a life say stuff do stuff that you think are incongruent with being a Christian that aren't right well, how about this? You leave them to deal with God and you figure out your own stuff and you say, you know what? I'm broken. I don't know what's going on in their life because you really don't know. You really do not know anyone else's story. So how about you mind your own business and you figure out for yourself? Well, that's why I don't go to church. There's all those people that, that don't have it together. At least we figured out we don't have it together. At least we figured it out that we don't have it again. Listen, this is not, remember, this is not a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. Step one, right? We just figured out that we're broken. That our lives don't always match what we believe. But we're trying. So... Jesus set the standard when he said this in Matthew 5. I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, uh, that's, you know, that's going to be a problem. I don't see how any of us, our righteousness could surpass the Pharisees. And the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom. So how can I believe and receive to become the righteousness of God? Well, the Pharisees, the super hyper-religious uh, hyper people, they, they were putting on a show. Inside they were full of dead men's bones. 
And when God says, listen, you need to become righteous, more righteous than the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he wasn't setting you up for failure. He was simply telling you, well, let me say it like this. Do you know that when God asks you to do something or says, hey, you need to be more righteous than the Pharisees, he's not telling you to do something that's impossible. That'd be like you telling your, your dog, jump over the house. They might be able to jump over the log, but they just cannot jump over the house. You would be a foolish master to ask something of someone that you knew is impossible for them to do whatever that that you were asking. So God says to you, your righteousness needs needs to exceed that of the Pharisees and the uh, Sadducees. He's not telling you jump over the house. He's saying, you know what? I have a way for you to do that. I have something for you. If you believe it and receive it, then you could have righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. If you believe and receive, then you can become more righteous than the Pharisees who walked the face. Well, let's read a little bit more. Second Corinthians chapter five. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. Why? So that in him, oh, there's the become word again. So that we would then what? Become the what? The righteousness of God. So he's not asking you to do something you can't do. He's saying, I'm actually going to allow you to have the righteousness of God living in you. When you believe and receive, you become blameless. When I confess my sin, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I accept your forgiveness right now, God. Just walk with me, wash me clean, and I just need a fresh start right now in Jesus' name. Boom. Right now, this second, I'm as white as fresh fallen snow. There's not one speck of black dirt on me in the spirit realm. I've been washed clean. And my righteousness... Oh, maybe I got an earring and I got a tattoo and maybe, maybe my life doesn't match what you think it should. But when I confess and I believe and I receive, I become the righteousness of God. Not based on outward circumstance, but because he adopted me. He puts his arm around me and says, come on, boy, let's try it again. Let's try it again. See? That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the real gospel. Not some Republican gospel. Not some Democrat gospel. Not some Donald Trump gospel. Not some, listen, watch your politics, ladies and gentlemen. In these last days, there's only one king, and his name is Jesus. There's only one king. He is the only way. He's the only way. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But I will trust in the name of the Lord. So why why is the Resurrection Sunday? Why is Resurrection Sunday? Why is it so important? Why is Easter, as we say around here, Super Bowl Sunday? It's our Super Bowl Sunday. Why is Easter the crown jewel of our faith? Why is what you believe so important? Well, hopefully you've, you've, you've figured it out. Matthew 21, 22 says that if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Believing and receiving and becoming. We started with Romans 10, 9. We'll finish here. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. My hope, the hope of this church, the hope of some of your loved ones, the hope of heaven is that you would embrace Romans 10, 9, that you would believe and receive and become 
We're all orphans. We're all orphans. All we like sheep have gone astray. Bah. Just wandering around, wandering around, trying to figure it out, and all of a sudden you hear the master's voice. My, I, was, uh, I was in Kenya, Africa, a number of years ago, and uh, I was near the Maasai tribe, the Maasai Mara. It was really a weird, weird thing. It's a long story, but there were there was a huddle, I don't know if that's what it's called, a herd of sheep, a huddle, a, a group of sheep. There were two Maasai, Maasai who were tending these sheep. They're warriors, man. And one of, the, one of the Maasai, he began to call, and this big group of sheep began to separate, and the sheep that knew the master's voice came out from all the other sheep. So you can have this big group of people, you can have this big group of sheep, and you hear the master's voice say, that's who I belong to. We were backstage getting ready to come out and my daughter heard Jubilee or Petra, one of her kids, and she's back there behind the curtain, music's playing, everybody's talking and there was this little squeak of a voice and she goes, oh, that's my kid. Don't you love when God does that for you? That's my kid. I miss him, I love him. Gosh, I sure wish they would, I sure wish they would accept all that I've given them. See, the Lord offers adoption, which is better than a $100 bill, by the way. Because when you believe, you receive, and you become a child of God. And then your body, your life becomes the temple of God. And the righteousness that you have is not a self-righteousness anymore because you do all the right things and you say all the right things. Your righteousness, he has given to you because now you are a son or a daughter of the Most High King. And so Exodus 15, 2 says, The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. And so I would like you to consider closing out this morning with me. Um, by standing to your feet, please. And we read it, or I read it, at the beginning of this morning's message. And I've never done this before. I just think it's interesting that we could potentially give you an opportunity to believe and receive and become this morning. And it starts with what you believe. Now, you may have never heard or read the Apostles' Creed but I'll tell you what, we're going to read it together, or I'd hope that you would read it with me. Rose, go ahead and put up the first portion of that, if you would. And so this is going to be the first part of this equation, which is believing. Do you believe this? Do you believe these things? No exceptions. You don't get to cross one out. You don't get a Sharpie. You get a yellow highlighter, because these are all the big rocks in your life that need to come to bear on who you are and what you believe. This is what I believe. I will die for this. I believe this. And then you receive it, and then you become what? A child of God. The temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And so I'd like this to be our collective prayer as we close this morning. And if it's the first time for you in a place like this, in a setting like this, thinking about, man, I, I think I really need to give my life to Jesus. I, I think... I think he is better than a $100 bill. And he's presented himself to me time and time and time again. 
And sometimes, sometimes you prayed, I, I know this from firsthand experience, sometimes you accepted it in some sort of foxhole experience. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, geez, Jesus, get me out of this. Oh, Jesus, get me out of this one. I'll serve and love you forever. And then the next morning, you just back to your vomit like a dog. Don't give up on yourself. You may have prayed it five times, six times, eight times, ten times, twelve times, but I'll tell you what, you stay at it, God will honor that. And so this morning, as a prodigal son or daughter coming home, pray this with me. Let this be your confession of faith that Jesus is who he says he is so that you might become a child of God. Are you ready? Let's do it together. Here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and in earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, we confess today that you are who you say you are. Once concealed, now revealed, we put our faith in you. Father, we lift our hearts to you and ask that you would come and you would exchange beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for the spirit of heaviness, and that you would make us new children of the Most High God, a temple of the Holy Spirit and the righteousness of God. If you've been adopted, would you raise your hand with me? Maybe today's the first. You feel like, yeah, okay. I don't plan on being able to do it perfect, but I'm going to give it my best with the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to serve and I'm going to love God. Thank you, Lord. Here we are, Jesus, on the celebration of your resurrection where you beat up death. You conquered hell. We now know that our names can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and we live with you. Not because of anything we've done, but because of all that you've done. We've simply received it by grace through faith. And now may the peace of God, the goodness of heaven, the glory of his goodness, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. And may he equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may his work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to him be all glory forever and ever. Amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.